Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, hey, good morning. It's good to see you guys here at Bergen Park Church. We're glad you gathered with us. If you want to grab a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, back in the Sermon on the Mount. We're actually going to start... After the Sunday, a new series called Honest to God, we're going to be jumping into a series on prayer as we look at first the Lord's Prayer, and then really how can we cultivate in 2021 a lifestyle of prayer? What does that look like for us? You know, I know for many of us, and certainly myself, prayer is not easy. It's often difficult. Our mind goes in different directions. We're not connected. We're not clued in. And sometimes we feel like this is just awkward. I don't feel like anyone's listening. Is there somebody up there? What's going on? So we're going to address some of those realities as we talk about simply being honest before God. I think sometimes we come to God and we think, okay, I've got to get this perfectly right. If I don't do it just right, then God's not going to listen to me. He's not going to hear me. No, God hears the cries of a heart that's in desperation towards him, whether that's in need or in trouble. And yet there is a guide he wants to give us as we go to the Lord's Prayer that really not only teaches us how to pray, But it reminds us of what Jesus was about. You know, when Jesus came, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. That God is restoring and making new and bringing back all the things that sin has broken, whether it's in relationships or in ourselves, in the way we see the world, in the way that we think. God wants to restore that which sin has broken. That's what the kingdom does. When the kingdom shows up, healing restoration begins to happen. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. And then he gave us this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, we discover who Jesus is, but every single day when you pray it, you're reminded of what is most important, of what the mission of Jesus is about. Somebody asks you, you know, hey, Jesus, what, what is Jesus about? What is this mission, the story of the gospel? What is it about It's summarized really for us in the Lord's Prayer, and it's something that's simple enough that we should memorize. If you haven't memorized the Lord's Prayer, your first thing, 2021, memorize the Lord's Prayer. And you can even do it in the King James. I think that's the first way I memorized it, just because I heard it so many times and simply through that. But in listening to it and in praying it, God begins to direct our lives. He shows us what's most important, certainly when there's chaos in your culture, when there's political chaos, When there's chaos in families, the best thing you can pray is, Father, let your kingdom come. In this season, let your will be done. You know what that does? For me, it kind of surrenders my heart. I can take a deep breath. It's not up to me to control the outcome. I don't need to convince you. You don't need to convince me. Jesus is on the throne, and when his kingdom comes and his will is done, God directs the outcome, and we can trust him. So let's jump into Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick it up in verse 5 down to verse 15. The word of the Lord. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, 
Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Instead, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, you are the Lord of heaven and earth. We recognize that you've set your glory in the heavens from the lips of children and infants. Father, you have ordained praise to silence your foes. And yet you have crowned us with glory and honor. You've made us just a little bit lower than the angels so that we might reflect you in this world. And so, Father, we ask, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. In this moment, in our lives, in our nation, over our president, over this moment, let your kingdom come. And as your kingdom people, energize us, Father, Spirit, renew us. Give us a vision for what is most important in this moment and center us in the story and the reality of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, if you jump back in verse 9, pray then like this. I think he means it. That when Jesus says to pray like this, I think this is what he wants us to pray. The Lord's Prayer is something we should be praying daily, and even more than once a day. Typically, if you want to know my schedule in the morning, what I do is I, I, I get up and I immediately go to my podcast, and there's a, an app called The Bible in a Year, and it just simply reads the Bible to you. Listen, there's nothing easier than just listening to somebody read the Bible, and then what you can do is you take it and you read it during the day. Get into a psalm in the morning, but at noon around noon, that's when I pray the Lord's Prayer. And typically what I need to do is I need to stand up. Sitting down is not enough. I need to stand up and I need to say it out loud and say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And as you pray that, to really think about what you're praying. Because not only is this how we're supposed to pray, it's to guide us in what we pray. You know, where do these words come from? Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. They come from the teachings of Jesus. If you want to know what Jesus is about, if you want to go to a passage that summarizes Jesus' message, this is it. Jesus taught us to understand that God is our Father. That what's most important, when he said, hey, repent and believe, what? The kingdom of God is at hand. May his will be done. God, give us this day our daily bread. We want to be dependent upon you. Forgive us as we have been forgiven. We want to go out to the world to restore those who have 
who've been broken by sin, and then finally God deliver us, meaning I can't overcome the sin in my life. And it's not about managing my sin. It's about God's power and presence in me to change my heart and my behavior in a way that reflects his kingdom. When we look at this passage, we discover who Jesus is. And hear me, what's most important in every challenge we face? And when you look at this prayer and you kind of summarize what it is, there's a short introduction. He says, our Father in heaven. And then he breaks it up into two sections. And each section really has three ideas, three petitions. In the beginning, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's one. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Or thy kingdom come, and then three, thy will be done. So the first section focuses on the Father and what the Father is about, what he's passionate about, what he wants us to be about. And then the second, if you'll notice, the second section is, it's about us. Now, us doesn't mean me. When we pray, and we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're praying for us. We realize that we're a community. We are a family. And again, there's three petitions. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us, and then deliver us. So notice the structure, the simplicity of it. There's an introduction. Realize who you're talking to, our Father in heaven, and then Here's the focus of the Father. Here's the focus of us. So it starts with God and then it ends with us. There's another passage in the Bible where Jesus said, you know what the greatest commandment is? There's two things that matter in life. This is what matters. Let me summarize the whole Old Testament. I know you haven't read it yet. It's okay. Here's the summary. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and the greatest commandment. And then remember, the second is like it, to love your neighbors yourself. Now, church, what does it look like to love God? It means to hallow his name. It means your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's caring about the things that God cares about. And then what does it look like to love our neighbors ourselves? It's to be concerned for their daily bread to be dependent upon him, to forgive and be forgiven, and to pray that God would deliver us from the brokenness of this world, not by our own strength and abilities, but by his power and his might and presence living through us. That's what Jesus is summarizing. The greatest commandments to love God and to love neighbor. What does that look like? Well, see, every single day, he wants us to ground us in the reality of who God is and what he wants, and then what he wants for us. And how we can engage in each other's lives in a way that directs us to the Father, that directs us to Jesus, and reminds us of what matters. Because realize, right, the world's chaotic. I mean, your world may not be. Mine's a little crazy right now. And in trying to guide us through this time, what is most important is the center of our heart, our will, our mind, our emotions on loving God and loving one another. So let's jump into this, this section and discover what these, what these sections mean. So first of all, love the Lord your God. He starts off, our Father in heaven. Actually, let's jump back because I messed up, and that's okay because we have forgiveness. I want us to say this prayer together. So, John, if you'll throw that, you already did it. See, he's way ahead of me. Hey, let's pray this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
our Father in heaven. When you get up each day, what is the most important reality Jesus wants to set before your heart, your mind, and your emotions? This is it. What is the most important reality he wants to teach you that day? It's that your, your father, your, the God who has created us, who knows us, who knows every hair on our head, every sparrow that has lived and died, he is our father, and he wants us to relate to him as children. Now, I know for many of us that can be a challenge. Because of our relationship to our earthly fathers, whether that was good, which is fantastic, or is broken, that can influence the way we understand our heavenly father. But understand something about the Christian faith. You know, when you put your trust in God as father, he's going to reparent you. It's called discipleship. See, when somebody parents you, they disciple you. That's essentially what discipleship is. It's growing, maturing, teaching, directing, training. And see, God, our Father, when you put your faith in him, we all approach him as children. Actually, he says infants. You're babes in Christ, straining for, for new milk. You want that pure milk that comes from the Father, and he begins to give it to us. And the thing about a, a young child is the Father's really, he's quick. When you first put your faith in Christ, don't you sense that nearness? God's just right there. He's ready to respond, ready to. And then as you grow up in your faith, he starts to expect more of you. He may not, his presence may not be as near because like, Jason, listen, I've told you to clean some things up. There's stuff I've asked you to address. You keep ignoring me. You keep ignoring me. You're crying out to me, but you're not addressing it. I need you to grow up and mature in your faith and discover who the father is at this stage in your life. And as we grow into adulthood, it's not just that we are mature. It's that we have children of our own, meaning not just physically have children. We have spiritual kids. And they could be older than us. They could be younger than us. They could be the same age as us. But as the church, we're investing into one another. As the Father is discipling and reparenting us, we share that experience together. And through that, we reveal the glory of who our Father is. The most important thing Jesus wants you to know every single day is that God is your Father. You have been adopted, and you are secure in the Father's hands. You have to constantly remind yourself of that. Have you noticed like when Paul writes, he's constantly telling you that? It's like over and over. It's like, Paul, we get it. Okay. The first chapter of just every book he writes, he's reminding us of what God has done, of who he is, how he's adopted us and loved us and cherished us. And Jesus is saying, I, when you pray, I want you to know who you're praying to. You're praying to the God whom Jesus called Father, and you're praying to the God to whom the Father called Jesus the Son. That's the God we're praying to. Because in our culture, and even within the church, there's a lot of wrong ideas about who God is. And so Jesus says, if you want to know who the Father is, look at me. See, Jesus had this paradoxical relationship. We call it the Trinity with the Father. And he said things like this, John 14, 9. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. John 5, 19. Truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that's what the son does also. John 6, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Matthew eleven twenty seven. all these things have been handed over to me by my father. And notice, no one knows the father except the son. And no one knows the father except the son and anyone whom... The son chooses to reveal him. And then finally, John 10, 30, I and the father are one. 
See, when you see God, what qualities do you see? You know, when you read the Old Testament, sometimes we get confused about God's character, his nature. If you want to know what his character and nature looks like, you look at Jesus. What does truth look like? What does seriousness about sin look like? You look at the life of Jesus. How do you address people? How do you relate to people? You know the people he really got angry with? Not the immoral, the moral. Not those who claimed not to know the Father. Those who claimed to know the Father, but misrepresented the Father to the world. When you look at Jesus, you discover the character of who God is. And each day, as we get into Scripture, as we read his word, we've got to be reminded of the character of our God. And and hear me, you have to start addressing the lies in your own life. Because see, often, I don't know about you, but I felt it certainly in this year. God's not with you, Pastor. Not during this year. And in part, sometimes because you miss people. There's people you haven't seen. You're wondering, what's going on in their life? God, we're supposed to be a church. How are we going to do this? And you start believing lies about yourself, lies about the world. Experiences come in, and you start to assume that's who your God is. And we have to, every single day, calibrate our heart and allow the measurement to be the measurement of Jesus Christ. Church, every day, we need reminders of God is our Father. And then notice, what does he want us to realize is important? And we get into these three petitions. The first is, hallowed be your name. And that word hallowed is not a word we use. It's kind of an old word. We do have the word Halloween. And the root word of hallowed is to be holy. So what we're saying is, God, your name is great. Your name is holy. Your name is unique. Your name is above every other name. Your name is the superlative. It's the set apart. It's greater than anything I have ever seen. And so when we pray, Father, hallowed be thy name, what we're doing is rehearsing the story that Jesus has brought us, that God's name is hallowed. It is holy. But God's name has been defiled and defamed. And the story of Jesus is the reclamation of God's reputation and his name. Why did Jesus come? To restore that which sin is broken. What's the first thing that has to be restored? God's glory. We have misappropriated ourselves, our bodies, the image of God in us. We're not reflecting who he is. And so Jesus comes to set us right, to see the Father for who he is. And so when we say, hallowed be thy name, we say, God, restore the glory of your name over my life, over my family, over my nation, over my present, over my world, over my money. Now, let me explain what this looks like. In 2020, redemption truly came to the name. See, in 2020, this was the year for me of reclamation, where the wrong of the past was made right. See, in the late 70s, there was a series into the 80s, a trilogy, not just any trilogy, not just a couple of movies, the greatest of all, sci-fi the sci-fi of sci-fi that anything before, Star Trek fans, I'm sorry, and anything after would be constantly compared to. The name is Star Wars. And see, a couple of decades after the 80s, George Lucas decided to release a new series. And for those of us who are purists who honored the name, we were excited, we were ready And then Jar Jar Binks. (laughs) Lucas Films. What are you doing? Horrible plots. 
Some of you don't agree. It's okay. Terrible actors, cartoon-like characters, and you wondered the glory of the name. It has been tarnished. And then we had to wait another 10 years. It went to the hands of this guy named J.J. Abrams. We're like, J.J. Abrams, restore the glory of the name. And, and he did better. But it wasn't until, for me at least, this is just my own story, the Mandalorian. Come on. Hallowed be the name. It was restored. The former glory, the feel, the reverence. Are you guys, what does it mean to restore the name? It means to bring it back to its former glory, to reflect what it was. And so when we pray that, that's what we're asking. God, may your name once again be glorified, to be set apart. And if we're praying that over our nation, over our world, then we have to ask ourselves, are we reflecting the name? Because there's no one that God has placed his name in but you. As the church, we carry the name of God into the world. Are we carrying it in a way that's setting it apart as unique? Are we setting it alongside things that are ordinary and we're causing the glory of who he is to be defamed? Church, we are to restore the glory of his name, how? Through faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, we're saying, God, would your name once again be lifted up? Now, how is it gonna be lifted up? Here, through these next two petitions, your kingdom come and your will be done. How is God's name restored? Through his kingdom coming and his will being done. Now, it says on earth as it is in heaven. And I wanna take a minute, because this was really helpful for me. There's a, a great teaching uh, tool out there called the Bible Project. You haven't tapped into it. They've got great podcasts. If you've got your family, you wanna teach your kids, it's a great way to teach them. They've got some excellent videos. But when we think of heaven and earth, often we have the wrong idea of what heaven and earth mean, what it looks like, how they relate to one another. That often our, our vision of heaven and earth looks something like this. That God created the heavens and the earth and then sin came into the world and what happened is when sin came into the world, heaven and earth were separate. And so the story of the Bible is how, how can God get us, in a sense, from earth to heaven? Because see, what's gonna happen is the earth, like the Death Star, it's going to be destroyed. And so what God has done through Jesus is to send Jesus to earth to rescue those things that belong to him and to get them from earth to heaven. And often that's the narrative that we understand. And is that the narrative of Scripture? Kind of, but not really. You see, the story of the Bible actually begins here. The story of the Bible of Genesis chapter 1 and actually all the way to the end of Revelation, you see the exact same image. It's the story of heaven and earth being one. That God's space, his sphere, that spiritual reality where his rule and reign takes place and the created order in Genesis 1, they were whole. God's presence covered all things. And then what, what history is going towards and what Jesus has come to accomplish is to bring that back so that once again, heaven and earth are gonna be one, that God's presence will cover all things. And if you remember, when God's presence touches something, it's healed. Think of Jesus. Jesus was the fullness of God's presence. When he touched somebody, what happened? They were healed. When he spoke, they were healed. Jesus' words brought healing and restoration, and where the presence of God is, things are made whole. And so what is the storyline of the Bible? It's not getting us out of earth into heaven. 
It's about getting the hell out of earth. And I mean that. What is the story of Scripture? It's the story of getting heaven into earth. See, that when sin came into the world, it's not as if heaven and earth split and God lost control of creation. No, certainly there was a a break. The sphere of heaven, the sphere of earth, they were separated. And yet God still was with his creation. Now, we know that, right? He had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, the temple. He used prophets, priests, and kings. He didn't abandon us. He didn't leave us. He continued to speak to us through individuals, through people, through a nation, through his prophets, through his kings. God continued to speak to bring heaven back to earth. But the reality is Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, Israel, Moses, David, they failed. They failed to let God's kingdom come, which means his rule, his power, his presence, and his reign to come, to heal the earth as it is in heaven. And so when we get to the New Testament, what we see is in that space where David was, that that purple area, the temple, Israel, Jesus shows up. And Jesus becomes that through which God's presence and God's power is now working itself into the world. And when Jesus says, let thy kingdom come, thy will be done, has God's kingdom come? Has God's kingdom come in you? Have you responded to the news of the gospel? Father, forgive me. I decided to define good and evil on my own. I abandon you, Father. I should have had allegiance towards you. Instead, my allegiance is towards myself and my dominion. Forgive me. As Jesus has died on the cross, forgive me of my sins. And then through your resurrection life, give me newness of life. May the spirit of God now dwell in me so that I can bring God's influence and kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. See, as the kingdom comes in you, his power and his presence, as we go out to the world, we bring his presence and power to others. When we pray, let thy kingdom come, on on the first half, we're praying about what God needs to do. God, would you restore all things? Would you make it whole? But also we have to ask, how am I doing that? Am I representing God? Am I seeking to bring healing and restoration into the world? Am I trying to bring that which God has given me back to others? See, we are the agents of God's presence, God's power, and his gospel into the world. And if we don't do that in a way that hallows the name, then this reality of heaven invading earth, it's going to be a distant reality. We're going to miss that experience. Because the story of the Bible is how heaven is coming in to restore and redeem all things so that one day we'll find that heaven and earth are once again brought back together and made whole. See, when we pray, let thy kingdom come, that's, this is what we want. We want heaven and earth to collide and all things to be made whole. That's what it looks like to love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, that when you see things that are broken, injustice, poverty, When you see someone that doesn't know the Lord and you proclaim the gospel, you're seeing his presence and his power come to heal that which sin is broken. Church, that's our calling. And that's just the first half of the prayer. And so if Jesus spent half of his time talking about the Father, his kingdom and his will, what do you think we should spend half of our time doing in our prayers? Probably focusing on God. Now, let me be honest for a minute. When I think of the quality of my prayers, they often don't match this. They often sound like this, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then sometimes, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And other days, it's like, God, help me, help me, help me, that my prayers are reactionary. And and hear me, there's nothing wrong with reacting. He's your father. He wants to hear from you. 
but he also wants to direct you and guide you. And listen, he wants you to grow up, which means to move on to those things that are most important to the Father. And so the first thing we have to do is we have to start centering our hearts, our minds, and our emotions around what matters to God. And then second, we have to care well for each other. And so let's jump into the second half. If you want to put the passage back up, Jonathan, and look back at the second half of this what does it look like to love our neighbors ourselves? And again, he gives us three petitions. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us, and deliver us. Now, first of all, give us today our daily bread. Now, when Jesus teaches, you also see this in the New Testament, Old Testament. On the one hand, he's talking about in this passage, give us this day our daily bread. He's talking about something old, but he's also talking about something new. He's referring to a story a story in which there were a community of people who were rescued by grace through the blood of the lamb into a wilderness. And in the wilderness, there's no food, there's no water. You're dependent. As a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? When you are in a desert, you are in a place of intimacy and dependency. And in that place, God brought what? He did. That's what manna means. God brought what? Manna means what? What is this? It's bread from heaven that somehow evaporates by the end of the day. And it was to teach his people, on the one hand, God provide, but you are dependent upon me. Everything you have is a gift from God. Now listen, the challenge we have living in a community like Evergreen is that we don't have to depend on God for our daily bread. That we know where it's coming from. We know where tomorrow's bread's coming from and next year's bread. And the we know where it's coming from. And this prayer is to lead us to a place of dependency to realize, God, I don't have the things I have because I'm smarter than everyone or I'm better than everyone or because you love me more than anyone. Instead, James says, God is the father of the heavenly lights. He is the giver of good gifts that everything I have is a gift from God the father. Poured out to me, whether my relationships, my job, my business, the fact that I grew up in this decade, this age, this country, you could have grown up anywhere. And, and your hard work, as much hard work, if you grow up on a mountain in Tibet, that's the best I got right now, your hard work's only going to get you so far. The fact that you grew up in a community that values education, that has certain economic opportunities, and you actually have the intelligence to use those. Those are all gifts from God. Everything we have is a gift from God. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're saying, Father, everything I have is a gift from you. Now, realize the storyline of the Bible as Jesus is teaching us. Jesus is supplying everything that the people need. Now, when Jesus died and rose again, he brought the Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, you know what happened? The church started being persecuted. They started sharing their daily bread. They had extra resources, and they started giving it. When the gospel needed to go forth, they're like, yes, Paul, listen, listen, we want to get behind this. Here's a ministry. Here's an opportunity. The church saw everything in common because everything was a gift from God. This prayer leads you to generosity because it re-ends your heart towards your stuff. It's not mine. That's the storyline of the world. That's the gospel of the world. You did it. You're smart enough. You're better. Look down on everybody else. That's right. They just need to kick it in gear. God says, no, everything you have is a gift from me. And if you have more than you need, it's an opportunity for my kingdom to come 
and my will to be done. Church, are we willing to allow the generosity of God to open us every single day as we pray this to say, Father, how can I use my resources, my times, my gift, my kids, my family, whatever it is, to reflect your presence and your kingdom so that, why? Your name might be restored. Give us this day our daily bread. Father, I am dependent on you. And then forgive us. He goes on to say, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. That in this kingdom movement, to keep this energy before us of what Jesus is accomplishing and wants to do, forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. It is central to what Jesus has accomplished. And he's saying, I want you to forgive others. And here's the key, as you've been forgiven. And so how have you been forgiven? Completely? 10%? 15, 20, 50? He has said it is finished. God doesn't treat you on the basis of what you've done. He treats you on the basis of what Jesus has done. And God has removed your sin as far as east is from west. And he says, church, that's all I want you to do is to share that which you have been given to others. What does it mean to forgive? Just, just quickly, it doesn't mean to forget. It means not to treat someone on the basis of what they deserve or what they've done. To forgive means I'm not gonna treat you according to what you've done to me. Now, first of all, to forgive means to name you got to be honest. There's no forgiveness. In forgiveness, it's not going, well, that really didn't hurt, and it did. It starts with honesty. It starts with confession before God and before man to address someone and say, listen, you hurt me. What you did was wrong, and you have to name it. You lied. You cheated. You rejected me. You made fun of me. Whatever the storyline is, you have to name it. And then in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives us a whole process. He says, go to the brother. Go to the sister. Address it. And listen, if they won't open their heart and be honest, don't be alone with them. This isn't about reconciliation. Reconciliation is when two people own their stuff. Jesus says, hey, listen, set up boundaries. Bring somebody with you the next time. Don't find yourself alone with that person. What are you doing? And if one person goes with you and it doesn't work, hey, bring four more. Bring five more. Set up boundaries. Forgiveness is about not treating people according to what they deserve, but giving them what they do not deserve, which is blessing, forgiveness. It's praying for your enemies and loving those who persecute you. It sets the captive free. And realize in verse 14, notice, Jesus says this is kind of essential. In verse 14, he said, if you forgive people when they sinned against you, notice the language, your father will forgive you. But here's the warning. If you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Now, why such strong language? Because, see, that's the heart of the gospel. He's saying, if you've truly received the grace of God, you will forgive. Now, hear me on this. Notice, he says, if you do not forgive, I will not forgive you. He doesn't say if you struggle to forgive or if it takes some time to forgive. Or if you go through a process of forgive, the Father won't. No, no, no. He's saying if you refuse, if you have received the grace of God and yet you refuse to forgive another human being, you, mean, you may need to go experience more of the grace of God. Forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel church. We should be a, a community of enemy love and enemy forgiveness. That we give to others what they do not deserve because that is what Christ has given to us. And you know what that does? Ready for this? Shouldn't surprise you. It's going to restore the name. It's going to bring the kingdom because his will is being done. And then finally, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Let me ask the question, does God lead us into temptation? Yes and no. James says God does not tempt us. But this word temptation in the Greek, it's translated temptation at times, but it's also translated trials. Scripture's filled with trials. James says consider joy when you face trials because you know when your faith is tested, it produces perseverance. And perseverance, when it's finished its work, makes you mature. Does God lead us through difficulties? Absolutely. What does it mean, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? Well, again, you have to look at the story of Jesus. Was Jesus led into temptation? Yeah, into the desert. We see at the beginning of his ministry, he's, his allegiance is tempted. The devil says, hey, listen, you don't have to go this path, bro. Messiah, power, it can come through violence. It can come through just acknowledging me. You will be the king of the world. We'll set you on the top of the mountain if you will just acknowledge my name. His loyalty was tested. And what did Jesus, did he, was that fun? No. In the garden, he said, Father, let this cup pass. As it's okay to pray, Father, I don't want to go through this. I see what's coming. I, I don't want this. And yet, what did he say? Let your will be done. God, I'm going to trust your wisdom. I'm going to trust your grace. I'm going to trust that you're at work. And even though I don't want to go through this, I, I know you're working through it. I'm going to trust in you as I go through it. You see in Jesus, as he went through hardships, he trusted his father because he knew through those hardships what was happening. His kingdom was coming and his will was being. Do you see the same thing in your story or do you think God's just abandoned you? Often we feel abandoned. Why? Because we've forgotten that God's our father, that his kingdom is coming and he wants to work all things together for good through my life. But here's the last thing and I'll end on this. I can't do it on my own power. Deliver us from evil. Church, salvation is forgiveness. It's through grace that God has forgiven us from the penalty of sin. It's through faith. You trust in Christ and the gospel and he's forgiven us. But hear me, if you want to change, the secret to change is the same thing that saved you is the same thing that's going to change you. We, we grow not by just trying harder. Effort is important. God is after our behavior. But we change by trusting the gospel through faith that God will enable us to overcome the power of sin in our life. The story of scripture is that you can't. But through dependency, give us this day our daily bread. Through reflecting his kingdom, forgive us. And through recognizing that God's power is in you. And so you go to 1 John chapter 2 and he says, hey, listen, young men, you're strong. You know why you're strong? Young women, the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil. What is he telling you? How can you overcome? Because God's word, his spirit is in you. But are we relying upon it? Listen, this is what God wants to anchor us in every single day. When you're having a conflict at home, pray this prayer. When you watch television and the news, pray this prayer. May this be our anchor as we move out into 2021, that God would restore his name and through us allow his kingdom to come, his will to be done, and for, for us together to support one another in a way that together we see God more clearly because we live God more evidently in the world. Hey, let me pray for us. Father, I'd ask today as, as we've, we've gathered together in this, this new year that we would acknowledge that you are our Father. Father, every good and perfect gift comes from you. You have redeemed us from the empty way of life handed down to us from our forefathers through the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so, Lord, restore us. I pray for those that have never cried out to you. Accept me on the basis of Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Holy Spirit, come into my life. 
through the power of the resurrection and give me new eyes to see. Father, would you, through the power of the Spirit, redeem those that cry out to you in faith. Father, forgive me. Jesus, come into my life. Give me the eyes to see. And Father, for us that have walked with you for years, may we reclaim the momentum of the kingdom through the energy of this prayer to daily see ourselves as children. You are our loving Father, to see you through the eyes and the lens and the life of Jesus. And Lord, to know that through our life, through our work, through our money, through our talents, through all of it, you're bringing your kingdom. And that kingdom brings healing and restoration to the world. Father, guide us in these things we ask. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.